Okay, this morning, let's take our Bibles. We're, we're going to be looking at two sections of Scripture today, one in Exodus. Of course, we've been looking at that. This will be the last one that I do on this commandment, because we are looking this morning at the fourth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verses 11, uh, 8 through 11, and then, of course, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 4 where it talks about the Sabbath rest for believers. So Exodus 20, verse 8, says, says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but, on, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we again look at this commandment, I pray, Lord, as we see the fulfillment of it in Hebrews on what it means concerning rest. I pray, Lord, that we would get a, a better grasp of it today and be able to also practice it, that we would each day on the Lord's Day learn to rest in you as we pull ourselves apart from all the busyness of life. And um, I pray, Lord, we would come and just enjoy you, worship before you, hear your word, fellowship with your people, and just in our soul we would find rest and just refreshment so we can live the next week until the next Lord's Day. So bless us in our understanding today. In Christ I pray, amen. Okay, so this morning we looked at that passage we were finding that the commandments clearly do spell out what is involved in our relationship with God, who is holy, that we are to recognize that he alone is God and is to have first place in our hearts worship of anything or anyone other than the Redeemer God is absolutely prohibited, and it is called idolatry, which God hates. Also, secondly, Man must not attempt, in the second commandment, to make any visible representation of the invisible God. And to do so would really degrade him and distort his holiness. And we know also that anybody who does have something they use as an aid to worship, eventually becomes that becomes God in their minds and that is whom they usually worship and not the true God. Also, uh, the responsibility of taking up the name of God in the third commandment, responsible for the reputation of the Lord as we go into the world, that we are to represent him in a way where we are honoring his name, giving him respect, giving him reverence in our thoughts and words and deeds. And then fourthly, we've been looking at uh, the responsibility of one day in seven to attend to God's honor and to our soul. Both of them go together. The fourth commandment really teaches 
God's people to keep this holy day, set this day apart as special. Now, of course, when we look at the Word of God, we find that uh, the Sabbath is one of those commandments that is not transferred into the New Testament as for us to do, but it doesn't mean that we don't keep it, but we keep it because we are in Christ. Now, saying that, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 4, which we'll be looking at for most of the rest of the time this morning, apart from uh, some other passages, because as I as you turn there, Hebrews 4, chapter 1 through, I mean, chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, maybe the slickest temptation that any Christian may be tempted with is the thought that turning to Christianity was a big mistake. That's what the writer of Hebrews is dealing with in this epistle. He's dealing with that. Remember that it's Hebrews because it's written, the majority of the audience is, is Jewish. So they have left Judaism because now they believed in Christ. So most of their identity, being in the synagogue, being in the town, working in, in their area, has been really tipped upside down. And now they have come to Christ, and they were promised initial rest, but so far they have experienced uh, trials and sufferings, and now they have to resist the spiritual enemy against them. They have a struggle now in their flesh. They are, have the opposition and currents of the world and society against them. Family has gotten a little distant with them now that they become believers. And, of course, demeaning uh, comments have come their way by those who are closest to them, saying to them, you're crazy. Uh, you're, now this new thing is, is false religion and, and even could be a crutch to them. And you start... You start to be tempted to think Christianity is not living up to its perceived expectations. See, this is what's going on here in the book of Hebrews. These Jewish Christians were beginning to think that turning to Christianity was a big mistake and that they should turn back to their religious system of Judaism, which was really a system of works. Instead of rest, they were experiencing turmoil. They had given up their ancient religion, but were suffering for their new faith. To some, it seemed that the initial experience of rest was a cruel delusion. This is why it is very important for us to take heed of the warning we find in this passage of Scripture and hold on to the promise that is found here in the Scripture. If you grasp the promise and heed the warning, it should move you and I forward in the process of being more and more set apart to God, which leads to a greater daily trust in Him and in His providence, which also should move us to the place of resolve and that is to make you firm in your confession and stop you wavering in your faith. And therefore, anything that would cause you to mistrust the Lord would be, at that point, discarded from your life. 
So, last time, we ended with the observation about Sunday worship. And the observation was this, that we worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day, to celebrate actually two things. To celebrate our present salvation rest, and also to celebrate and anticipate our future eternal rest. Now, both of those things are included here, and both are very much uh, for us to uh, understand and, and important in our life to think about the rest that we have as believers. Now, there's four actually important things concerning rest in this epistle, this chapter, and that's what we're going to look at today. And I want you to get really understand what's happening, because the first thing we're going to look at here is this, God's promise. Look at verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter 4, and it says this, Therefore, let us fear it, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest. Now, the first thing we see here is that God did give a promise to his people, and that promise would be that there is a way of entering God's rest. All right? Now, remember, the, on the Sabbath day, the people rested physically from any kind of work. So this rest is, is going further. Remember, the Old Testament dealt with the, the shadow, the type of what would come in the literal, practical rest that we receive when we become believers. So, see, the promise is, is clear in the Scripture. It's a promise that there remains now, after all that has gone before, there remains the promise of rest, of entering in to that particular rest in God. Now, before I look at that, I want to look at some other things, first of all, which is found in our passage, and it's this. That is what rest is not. All right, The first thing we see, rest is not, in verse number 3, it says, for we who have believed entered that rest just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And, and then in verse 4, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, in other words, that that is the first thing is that this rest is not, it is not the rest of God after he finished creation. That's something that becomes, he's bringing out in the text that uh, there was a morning and an evening for six days, but on the seventh day, there was no evening, at least mentioned in Scripture, meaning the day of God's rest shall have no ending to it. So that Sabbath day was the beginning of a, an eternal rest that would come to the people of God. In other words, the rest of God is forever. God started it and opened it up to all who would believe. All right, So it's not just specifically talking about what happened there after creation, 
the world was made. And then secondly, it is not the Sabbath rest given in the law of Moses. In verse 4 through down to verse number 6, he says in verse 5, which I read the other verses, and again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. In verse 6, therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them, failed to enter because of disobedience. So when Moses gave the Sabbath rest on the seventh day that they were commanded by God to do that, although the rest on the Sabbath was a constant reminder of God's rest, it looked again forward to a rest God's people would receive in the coming of Messiah, the coming of Christ. So, in other words, even though that shadow started there, it was not finished uh, until Christ fulfilled it. And then a third thing it is not, it's not the rest of Canaan, which uh, Joshua brought the people into. It says in verse number 8 of Hebrews chapter 4, for if Joshua had given them rest he would not have spoken of another day after that. So in other words, the scripture is saying to us, listen, what happened back there was just a picture. It was pointing forward to something. And so he's telling these Hebrew Jews that, listen, don't give up and turn back to the old system because the old system was just pointing to the Messiah, This is a fulfillment of everything else you believed and you heard from generation to generation. So don't give it up. So, But instead, Scripture is telling us that these are comparable to types and shadows of what is to come, pointing to the days of the gospel, the days of God's final revelation in Jesus Christ. Now, this is the passage of Scripture I mentioned last time, but again, Notice what it, what it says there, that in, in these things that are listed here were only a shadow and pointed to the substance. And the substance was what Christ accomplished. What, it, what is Christ accomplishing on the cross? He's accomplishing not only the redemption of sinners, but a new creation. We will, we will receive uh, all things... Behold, all things have passed away, all things become new, right? The Word of God tells us that we become new creations in Christ. Then it leads to a resurrected body, it leads to the eternal state. So all these things are pointing to a rest that God has promised us way back in the beginning. And so Colossians is the passage that brought that out, especially in verse 17 where it says, uh, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. There it is. It's pointing to all those things, pointing to Christ. So don't give that up. That's the very essence of what God was saying in all those rests mentioned in the Old Testament of creation, of the Sabbath rest given in the law of Moses, and Joshua bringing people into the promised land, which gave them the rest from the, the wars, and, and their own, then they get their own property and learn to rest in their own land. See, he says that was only a picture. That was only a type of pointing to the fulfillment 
And, of course, that would be the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So that means this. Then what is, what is this rest? Well, the first thing, it is this. The first, it is, it, uh, it's the present rest that we have. Some have called this the gospel rest, right? This is a rest particular to the gospel. It is a rest believers have in Christ. Trust in Christ's sacrificial death begins our soul rest by giving us rest from the burden of the guilt of our sins, from giving us rest from the gnawing conscience that we had because of our sin and because of all the things that we're building up in our life, uh, knowing that someday our conscience would be uh, opened up and everything that uh, we committed as far as sin in our life would be revealed. So we learn to trust in the sacrificial death that begins our rest and then to trust in God's character as an almighty God, as a loving Savior who gives us rest as we live by faith and then learn to cast our burden on him. For example, if you, when you're reading through Scripture, you're going to find passages of Scriptures that give us uh, the principles like this. Don't worry. You find that all over the place. And then it doesn't just say stop worrying. Like in Matthew chapter 6, it says, don't worry, but seek righteousness. Right? And this righteousness leads to a peace in your soul instead of a restlessness. And then also uh, something like don't live in the pattern of sin, like it says in Timothy. Flee immorality, and then it says while you're fleeing immorality, pursue peace. See, so see, we have this peace, we have this rest that God's already given us right now in Christ, and we're to practice this. And then, of course, as the Bible says, don't hold on to your care. But what are we supposed to do with our care? We're supposed to cast it on God, right? Why? So the peace of God can reign in your mind and not your worry and your care and patterns of sin that drag you away from and rob you of this rest that we have in the Lord himself. Now, here's a good example of this gospel rest found in Matthew chapter 11. And just take your Bible and, and turn over there. We'll be back in Hebrews. But Matthew 11, verse number 28, this section of Scripture, here's the words found that Jesus is inviting, this is an invitation that the Lord has. He's inviting people uh, to come. And if you notice in Matthew chapter 11, 28, there's an invitation that he gives. There's a description of the people that he's inviting with this invitation. And then there is actually the promise in the, in the invitation of what the Lord is saying to the people. And if you notice the first thing it says in uh, Matthew 11, he says this, come to me. So that's an invitation, right? Come, right, to me. That is just a simple command. It is a command and exhortation here. Not, don't come through priests or ministers, not through sacraments or ceremonies, not through churches and temples. He's saying, listen, come personally to me. 
And I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you what you cannot find in this world. I'm going to give you rest, right? In other words, he is saying, come directly to me, guilty and sin-laden as you are. Don't try to clean up your life to come to me. Bring it all to me. Bring who you are to me, and you will find that you are to come to Christ as he is, and you come as you are, and he promises that he's going to give all those who come to him rest. All right, And then he says in verse number 29, he tells them, listen, take my yoke. My yoke is going to be light. And what is a yoke anyway? A yoke was to keep two animals together so that they would not go off on their own direction. Instead, they would be in subjection to their masters. That's why they used to yoke animals together, because if they didn't, they'd be wandering all over the place. Well, that's just like us. Right here, yoke is that is when we enter into submission to Christ. When we come and take his yoke, the sinner finds rest and surrender and obedience in, G- in Jesus Christ, and then we're not wandering off all over the place trying to get rest somewhere. We find that rest right with God himself. Now, before you can experience the peace of God, you must be at peace with God. See, that is important in Scripture. When a sinner submits to Christ, the only, only then can they be yoked to him. If they are not willing to submit to him, they cannot be yoked to him. All right. And then in verse number 29, he says this, learn from me. Another simple command, which means to find out, to discover all right, what do we have to discover when we come to Christ? You know what we really discover when we come to Christ? The purpose of life. Why were you born? Why are you here? Why are you living now? See, that's what you find out when you come to Scripture. You can have a thousand, a million questions and maybe get those questions answered somewhat, right? But you really don't get real answers until you come to Christ. See, people can have a stack of of questions, always having questions, but never really wanting the answers that God has for them. But when they get the answers, when they come to Christ, all of a sudden, bam, everything opens up to me. Wow, I know why I'm here. I know what God did in creating the heaven and the earth. I know the purpose of life. I know where I'm going when I die. You know, you know how many people I try to search those things out, and they come up with wacky, wacky solutions and results, right? No, it's right here in Scripture. But you know what? You don't rest in that knowledge until you come to the one who can give you the truth. And that's what it is. It is the truth. And the truth is the thing that sets us free. But I want you to notice, look at verse 28 and 29. He gives a description of those he invites. He says, who does he invite? All you who are weary and heavy laden. Not everybody who has it together. Not the righteous. His invitation is open to those who are exhausted, who are burdened down. And those exhausted in their search for meaning and truth, people who feel the crush of life and the crush of sin and the slavery of of sin and the things you have to deal with in this cursed world, they are crushed by those things. People with troubled consciences, people with troubled minds, people with troubled hearts that are empty and, and unfeeling and afraid. See, that's what God 
That's who God is calling. That's who we are. Those are that's us. And so God is calling those people because he's the only one who can settle the restlessness of your soul and give you the answers to know what what who you are and who Christ is and what he's done. In fact, uh John uh Bunyan, uh he's in some people say that the, probably what he wrote is is uh the second best seller to the Bible uh called uh Pilgrim's Progress. If you never read that, that would be an allegory that you want to read. It, it really describes the Christian life and what you go through and, and how difficult it is uh, on the narrow road to the celestial city. But he wrote another book called Abounding Grace. And this is what he said in that book. He said this, and it was written of his restlessness. It says, for five years and more, John Bunyan could not call his soul his own. He did not dare to sleep because he was afraid that he would wake up in hell. He was troubled all day long about his soul. His mind tumbled up and down. But when John met Jesus, he found rest. See, every Christian who understands the gospel and what it means to come to Christ, that's what you find when you come to Christ. You find a peace and a rest and a joy that the world and nothing in the world or no one in the world can give you. See, that is, that's what we, what we really need. We need this rest. So you cannot rest and riot in your sin. Jesus says to trust me, to believe me, to follow me. And if you want to come... It shows that God has been at work in you to draw you to himself. But if you notice again in Matthew 11, there's also a promise, and this is where I'm really heading to in this passage before I get back to Hebrews. Here's the promise. Look at verse 28. It says, in the middle of verse number 28, it says, and I will give you rest. You see that? And you shall find rest for your what? For your souls. This is the eternal part of us. This is the part that lives forever. Our body's going to die and go to the grave, but our souls are eternal, created in the image of God, right? The body goes to the grave, the soul goes into the presence of God, awaiting the resurrection of our new body, right? That we're going to have when we live with God forever, but you notice he gives us rest where we really need it, inside of us. In, in the term, term, turmoil of our, our soul, that's where the Lord deals with us. So, see, this is the gospel rest that comes to us when we believe in Jesus Christ. And then he tells us in the scripture here that the word rest means, again, refreshment. Refreshment for your eternal soul. Peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Rest of conscience, rest of mind, rest of heart, rest of spirit. Jesus brings complete satisfaction to all of man's spirit. I don't really know any Christian who has grown in the faith, who somebody would come up to them and says, will you deny Jesus right now and give it all up for the greatest riches that this world can offer? I don't think any Christian who understands this 
would ever say, I'll make the exchange. And the reason why is because they have the greatest treasure that anybody could ever want, and that's the very peace of God. I am right with the God who created the heaven and the earth through Jesus Christ. I have a rest in my soul that nobody can give me. God gave me. Why would I want to give that up? Why would I want to give that up to a, a life of restlessness? I don't want to give that up. Even, even what, what, what John says in, in the gospel, First John says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That when we, when we willingly obey God, it's not a burden to obey God. It's something I want to do. It's something that my soul wants to do because God's placed it there. See, what, and what will Jesus say to those who come to him? It says in Matthew 25, 34, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here's that promise again. Come, all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, come bankrupt, ruined, and empty-handed, but come. That's the invitation. And Jesus will give you rest. That's what he will do. So that leads me, that's gospel rest. That leads me to the second one. And it's the one that we're going to spend the rest of the time with in Hebrews, back to Hebrews chapter 4. Because here it's talking about, it's talking about the promise of this Sabbath rest. And of course, the second one is a future rest coupled with the gospel rest. In other words, if you have the gospel rest, you will have this rest. See, when people pass away and die, they say, well, that person has gone to their rest. No, if they don't know Christ, they have not gone to their rest. You know what they've gone to? They've gone to a place of restlessness because they'll never have that peace of God because they rejected Christ and did not want him, uh, ignored him, uh, and put him aside because they had their own way of saving themselves. They had their own system of saving themselves, whether it is their own or a religion. They, they, just, they just put it aside, and so they will not have rest. They will have restlessness along with everything else that goes with being separated from God. Now, look what it says here in this uh, passage of Scripture. So the second rest, the Sabbath rest, it is, it's a day in which we look forward to and we can enjoy all, when we can enjoy all that has, God has done in Christ for us. Right now we are enjoying partly what Christ has done for us, not fully, because we have to drop off these bodies to be in the presence of God to experience the fullness of it. See, God did not need to rest because he was tired in, in uh, Genesis. He rested because he was finished with creation and found refreshment after all his labor, so that's what we will find too. We will find this refreshment that comes in knowing Christ and also in um, looking, anticipating our future rest in the Lord. So that is that's was the promise. The promise in Hebrews is that God has a rest uh, being offered to people. But secondly, 
in our passage in Hebrews, we see the second thing, and it is this, the warning. There is a warning, and the warning is this. It says, therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. In other words, here's the warning along with the promise. God's offering people rest as they come to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? Here's the warning. It's offered to you. The promise is there. But some have fallen short of it. In other words, they didn't come all the way. And this is the language that that, uh, the writer of Hebrews is using with the Jewish people specifically. He is saying to them, listen, you have all this knowledge of the Old Testament. You have all these types and shadows pointing to the reality, and you are not going to come all the way to Christ? Are you... Come on, that's insanity. Don't, 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 don't stop there. Come all the way over. And a lot of times when you're witnessing to people, they will have certain facts of the gospel. They will, they'll know, know certain things about Jesus being the Savior and, and dying on the cross and, and resurrection, and we celebrate those days. But they have never really come all the way to the truth of what that means and, and given themselves to it. So if you look at our text in verse Uh, One, and then where it says fear, this is the kind of fear that causes us to run, not run away from uh, something, but the kind of fear that causes us to face the issue head on. And what is the issue here? The issue is to have fallen short, to have been left behind. And here's the picture from the desert of those who who are loaded down with unbelief and lagged behind on the journey, and they were left behind in the desert where they perished and failed to enter the promised land. So the warning to us today is also don't fall short the same way they did concerning the promise that is now preached to you of entering God's rest by listening to and heeding the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse number 2 of Hebrews chapter 4, this is what he says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us just as they also talking about those in the Old Testament. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So see, you see, the failure of the past generations was they merely heard what God said, but they didn't believe him. Hearing is one thing, and believing is another. The word warned them not to harden their heart, yet they spurned the good news and the promised rest. And the word of God is really saying to us, don't repeat their folly. Don't repeat their foolishness. Now, what is belief? Well, there's a belief that emphasizes the content of faith. This is a a mental acceptance of certain facts that are true. 
Jesus died, Jesus rose, Jesus is coming again. Now, this belief does not save. It may lead to salvation, but in and of itself, it does not save. So profession does not mean possession. I can profess something, but I may not possess it. True saving faith means that I professed it and I now possess it. Someone may make a public profession of Jesus, yet he or she may be unregenerate. They may even be faithful to go to church because they think that's what they ought to be doing. But that's, that still is not uh, proof, complete proof, that they are a genuine believer. There is a belief that emphasizes, though, the act of faith. That is a, the wholehearted truth, uh, trust in the truth. That, that person hears the truth and is moved in his and her will to act upon what they heard and to, to do what the truth requires. For example, in the invitation in Matthew, what was, what, was, what was the invitation? Come. Now, people could have heard but never came, right? They could, they could have listened to the whole message and never have appropriated what they heard, and that is to simply step forward and come to Christ and believe in him, and they haven't done that. So the person hears the truth and is moved in his will to believe what they hear and make that truth their own. So in our text, if you notice in Hebrews 4, verse number 3, it says this, here are people who wholeheartedly trusted God, God's promise to enter that rest. In verse 3 it says, For we who have believed, what? Enter that rest. So here it is. There's the promises out there, and now the warning has been given. Don't be foolish like other people who have full knowledge of the gospel and yet do not take it. Don't be like them. Right, because you're going to end up in a place you don't want to be. Be like people who, at that point, just believe it and act up upon it in their will. And the Bible says, if you have believed that way, you have not only gospel rest, but you have eternal rest. Because that rest, remember, began in creation, and it will go right through to the new creation, new heaven and new earth, new, new Jerusalem. All those things are going to take place. But why don't people believe? You know why people don't believe? People don't believe the good news because they have, hard, they have a heart problem. We know that. Scripture tells us that. In fact, Acts 7.51 says, you know what? You're, you are people that are just stiff-necked. You're stubborn, man. You just, you just, you're so set in the way you think and in your ways, you can't even come to the truth. Of course, they're also dead spiritually, and they have to be made alive, but they also don't come because they have a hearing problem. They're deaf spiritually. They only hear what they want to hear. And because of their deafness, it says in scriptures in Acts 7, you're and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, and you are doing just as your fathers did. So, in other words, he's saying, listen, when you hear the truth, you resist it. 
You just don't give yourself to it. So they had a hearing problem, and in reality, they stopped listening to God. And because they stopped listening, they misunderstood the message. Matter of fact, they not only misunderstood the message, they end up misunderstanding about everything else, even their own history, even our own history. There are things that are always, always resonate with people who are spiritually hard-hearted, spiritually dead, and deaf. They think that they do not need anything and that they are all right. You leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone. Let me go on my merry way. All right? I'll be all right. See, people are, they actually settle on that kind of thinking. They resent also the implication that there is anything wrong with them. They go into, uh, they hear the message, and the word of God slices and dices their hearts, presents them as sinners before God, and they say, well, that's not me. That's somebody else. That's probably my neighbor, or maybe my relative, or maybe it could be my someone that I work with, but that's not me. And they fail to see the gravity of listening to God. They fail to receive the truth and therefore misunderstand the true meaning. But when, you're, when you are a person who truly listens, God's voice you will regularly trust. When you truly listen to God's voice, you will not only regularly trust him, but your faith will be strengthened and your hope will increase and your rest will be evident. Your peace will be evident. Your joy will be evident knowing that it does not come from any earthly source, but it comes from God himself. When you truly listen, you will desire to grow in your understanding, which leads to greater faith. You will never be satisfied with what you know about the Word of God and about the Lord, you'll always want more. When you stop listening, you become ignorant. When you stop listening, you lose sight of the glory of God. When you stop listening, you actually start disdaining God's spokesmen and preachers because you can no longer endure God's Word. Is this in Scripture? Yes, it is. If you notice what this passage of Scripture says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 4, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. We're living in that right now. And that is a reality that we all have to experience and deal with. But that leads me back in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 3, and then verse number 5 to the third thing, and that's the oath that God presents to those who would listen. And here's the oath. It says this. It says, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And again, in verse 5, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. In other words, God is really saying to, the, 
in, in his oath, listen, anybody who decides not to believe will not enter. They will not enter. And of course, he's re- actually Hebrews is referring to something that happened in, uh, in the wilderness when God said, sent out spies to spy out the new land. And he, he says, go, go search out the new land and come back to me and give me a report. And they came back, and there's two groups of people. One came back and gave a bad report and says, these people, they're giants. They got fortified walls. They got cities. They got armies. We can't defeat them. And they came back and reported that to the congregation, and they came back with a bad report. But then there was Caleb uh, and Joshua who came back and said, let's go. Let's go get them based on the promises of God, because God says, that's your land, I gave it to you, you go get it. And they went and believed him, and they were the only ones in that generation who entered into the promised land. So in other words, a unbelief is a message of a bad report. What do I mean? I mean this. I mean, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. Well, I don't believe that. See, that's a bad report because you're saying that God didn't do it and cannot do it. And so therefore, if you believe that, that's why God is angry here in this text. He is angry here in the text because of this very reason that they did not believe. Christian pilgrims in the contemporary world must realize that in the light of this passage, it will not do to confess a merely nominal allegiance to Christian truth or to pay occasional lip service and meeting and and services to faith in Christ. Our commitment must be sincere and genuine. If you don't believe, in other words, you lose out. You lose out if you don't believe in Christ. You are left in your restlessness. There will be no rest. There will be no peace. There will be no joy. So that is the oath God has placed before not only his people but the world that I say that if you come, it's available to you. The promise is there. Believe in Christ and you will have this rest I'm talking about. If you don't, if you don't, then you shall not enter it. You shall not enter the rest. And so that leads to the fourth thing, and that's the offer that the Lord has. After all this, the Lord has an offer, and the offer is found in verse 6 through 10 of Hebrews. Notice what it is. Here's the offer. It says this. Well, I could say it like this. It's still God's offer today. It's still God's offer. It says there in verse number 6, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, then look at verse 7 through 10. It says, He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David after a long so long a time, just as has been said before, today, what, what is it today? If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given rest, 
he would not have spoken of another day after that. Verse number 9, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God as, as God did from his. So, so here is the great offer that God has. If you know Christ this morning, if you have submitted to his offer and you have come and believed in him wholeheartedly and that he's given you his spirit, then the promise is yours that you ha- will enter his rest. But if you are at a point where you never really came all the way and asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sin and the condemnation of it and believe wholeheartedly in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the offer is still there. Don't harden your heart. Why? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So see, the rest to which the scriptures speak has a present and a future aspect to it. It must be entered presently here on earth by faith. That's gospel rest. It must be pursued presently here on earth by faith. That's gospel obedience, or another way of saying is gospel sanctification. God's going to sanctify you. And then it must be entered fully in the future. Because the people of God have a heavenly life. They have a heavenly destiny. When faith turns to sight, the people of God will have full possession of all that has been prepared for them. And that's our hope. That's what keeps us going. That's what we have our that's where our faith goes through Christ right into eternity. So the term today in verse 7 means while you're alive, while there is yet Time, right now, give God the trust and obedience that must he must have as God. Give it to him while you have a chance. Not only in believing in Jesus Christ, but in serving him with the rest of the time you have left on this earth. Give him the submission you ought to give him before your days come to a close. And you don't know, and I don't know when that's going to be. See, that is the message that is coming through this passage of Scripture, and it's all connected to the fourth commandment given and then uh, right, right into Genesis and creation. It's all connected to that. And then if you look right there in your Bible, look at verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 4, specifically verse 11, and it says this, Therefore, Let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall, though following the same example of disobedience. So here is the command. Let us make every effort to believe and obey. If you don't want to fall into unbelief and destruction, then labor by faith and obedience to enter the fullness of Christ's rest. So these Hebrew Christians are being assured that they have this rest right now. They have it. They need to persevere in it. Once you have it, you persevere in it until they reach the rest that is still to come, and that is the future rest in heaven. 
It is the very rest that God himself enjoys. He offers it to us. But you and I must trust if you are to have it. You must trust wholeheartedly and ongoingly. That's what you must do. As they did in the Old Testament, so we have to do today. So God desires, he desires that his people enter the gospel rest through Christ and then the benefits of that rest into the Sabbath rest or the eternal rest. So the invitation is still open. It's going to be open until Christ comes again or he takes you out. It's going to be open when you're gone. We must realize that the pursuit of this rest in the course of our pilgrimage may very well be costly. We must strive and apply ourselves diligently to the journey ahead of us. But don't misunderstand, it is not attained by works. That is not what I'm talking about. But it is God's rich gift to the faithful and obedient pilgrim at the end of his days when he ceases and she ceases from labors as God did from his. The very desire to live at our best for Christ is really an ambition our Lord has planned, has planted in, in our minds, in our hearts. He's put that there. And so all that leading to the Lord's Day. See, when we come to the Lord's Day, it really is a day of restful worship. Now, let me just put the Sabbath and um, the Lord's Day next to each other and just see some of the comparison uh, that I've covered over the last couple of weeks. And it's this. The Sabbath, you find, number one, rest is essential but not idleness. For the Lord's Day, worship is essential but not idleness. For the Sabbath, duty it's duty to a command. In the New Testament, in the Lord's Day, it's, of course, I've been just going, number three, it would be one day in a week. Of course, this, it would be one day in a week for the Lord's Day, one day in seven. All right? And then, of course, uh, number four would be severe consequences for breaking it, the Sabbath. We know the consequences were death, right? Uh, but in the New Testament, on the Lord's Day, there's no direct consequences for not observing it. However, however, let me just uh, go back for a minute. All right. All right, so just this last one, it's this. However, to deprave ourselves of such a happy and holy day is more than an error or a mistake. It is sin. It is not so much sin against a command or a law, it's sin against love. Because remember, I said already that the Lord's day is a day that is not about keeping it, it's a day about Christ. It's a day about the person. See, that's what the day is about. And so, we ought to be considering that we serve God willingly. 
then number five would be this. The Sabbath, it's a day of gladness and cheer, the Lord's Day, a day of praise, thanksgiving, and joy. The Sabbath is no defined worship, but a focus on the works of God in creation and the beginning of redemption. I would put that word in there. And then the Lord's Day, it's, it's the defined method of worship by following the means of grace, listening to the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers and giving would all be considered in the, on the Lord's Day. Of course, the Sabbath was a day of doing good, the Lord's Day a day of doing good, visiting the sick, comforting the sorrowful, teaching the unlearned, and using your spiritual gifts. Also on the Sabbath, celebrated the God of creation and redemption. And of course, the Lord's Day celebrated a resurrected, exalted, triumphant Christ. Redemption is done. And then Sabbath is the Creator's Day. The Lord's Day is the Redeemer's Day. Jesus is our true Sabbath. He stopped the curse of the law by fulfilling it redeeming his children from the slave market of sin. And then we find, tenth, that the Sabbath, Saturday, is a blessed holy day. Israel had the shadow day in the Sabbath. It pointed forward to the substance, Messiah. See, that's what it pointed to. That's what I've been saying this morning. So under the Christian dispensation, the day has changed to Sunday, but the significance of the day is more pronounced. It is, again, the Lord's Day. Christians have the substance in Christ. Jesus is our true rest. Again, there's the passage there where it tells us that, listen, the shadows from the Old Testament, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, that's why we come and worship, because we come and worship the Lord. Not because the law says to do it, but because we want to do it, because we love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, of course, back to the, the Sabbath. Uh, the, it's a cessation from secular and worldly occupations. And then, of course, on the Lord's Day is a day that we that should be free from the demands that are on your life in order to trust the Lord in thoughtful worship and soul rest, like we looked at in Matthew eleven twenty eight. It is a day all believers need to stop working and cleaning and planning and plotting and fretting and fussing and worrying and rest in God. Right? Rest. Could you do that as Americans? Could you do that? Americans live by watches. I got, I got, to give, I got to be somewhere right now. No, 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 no. Leave your cell phones at home in the, or in your car, and if you need to, take your wristwatches off, and just relax. If you're a Christian, rest in the Lord. You know what? There's nothing to be worried about. God's taking care of everything, and if we could just come to worship with all, without leave all the baggage outside the door. All of it, of the whole, whatever went on in the week, leave it outside. Whatever's going to happen tomorrow, don't even think about it, right? That's what it says in Matthew 6. Don't worry about it, right? 
There's plenty, there's plenty of concern tomorrow, right? But you know why I thank the Lord for so many present tense verbs in the New Testament? Because it's not about yesterday, and it's not about tomorrow. It's about right now, right? It's about today. Live today. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the future. Learn from the past. Plan for the future, but live today. That's what God wants us to do. And when we come to worship on Sunday, that's what we ought to be doing. We ought to be relaxing, worshiping, not scheduling, not doing the next thing, not planning things. Don't do that. Don't do that. Just come and relax in the Lord. See, that's what we ought to do. We ought to relax in the Lord. The Sabbath, neglecting this holy day brings the curse of the law. The Lord's day, the neglect... To neglect such a privileged invitation is to refuse God's lordship in your life and the blessings that he has for you on this day, on this day. You know, and I, it also includes not listening to your flesh. When you wake up in the morning in aches and pains, you got a little of this, and uh, you decide, well, I'm just going to roll over, and uh, the Lord will understand, and you do. You know what? Every time I decided not to listen to my flesh, and I went anyway to church, I always got my socks, you know, blessed off me. I, I said, I could have stayed home. I would have missed that. I would have missed that fellowship. I would have missed that message. I would have missed that, you know, blessing that came from somebody. I'm not going to miss that anymore. You know what? That's what believers ought to be thinking. I'm not going to miss that unless you're providentially hindered. Unless you're providentially... And the only excuse I ever thought that was legitimate for being providentially hindered is death. All right? You're going to be in heaven. You're going to be celebrating the Sabbath, eternal rest. Right? But there was one man that was in in the church. I was an assistant pastor. Every morning, every Sunday morning, he would have the same routine. And he was faithful. You You can set your clock by his faithfulness. He comes, and I told the men this story in our men's group, and he, uh, he would stop at the car wash and get his car washed every Sunday. Well, that Sunday, right in the middle of the car wash, it broke down, you know, and so he couldn't get out. So, you know, we're all asking, like, where were you? He says, you're not going to believe this. And he tells the story. And I says, well, that's pretty legitimate. There's not much you can do, right? And plus, he only had one leg, and so he had, he had a... a and, so the thing is that, you know, he couldn't really just climb out of the car. And uh, so that was, if that's a providential thing you can't, you know, you can't change, right? But if none of that is in the way, be here. Be here with a restful spirit and soul and trust God for not only the gospel rest he gave you in Christ, but the eternal rest that we have all together as believers and what we anticipate that's going to happen and what's coming. Amen? See, that's what we ought to be doing. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, Lord, you are an awesome God. You are, you tell us from the word of God what we ought to know, what we didn't know, what we couldn't have come up with on our own. And Lord, it's right there in scripture. And I thank you, Lord, that what was accomplished in creation, on the Lord resting on that seventh day, led to 
a picture and a type of what would ultimately come in Christ through the cross, through us being redeemed and brought, bought from the slave market of sin, and then, Lord, into the eternal rest that you promised everyone who would believe. Thank you, Lord, that you're the only one who could do that. So we want to praise you today. We want to lift up your name. We want to give you the honor that is due your name. And I pray, Lord, every single week we would deal with the things that would rob us of our rest and our peace and our joy. And I pray we'd make ourselves ready every day, every week to come and worship with other believers and that we would be prepared to hear and to serve and to honor your name. And I pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together.